Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I'm really bad at retirement and bad at vacation. So when I heard that Isaac was going to be preaching for you, I said, well, I'll do it if you don't mind. I'm on vacation, so... Well, there's nothing better than to uh, uh, visit the Word of God once again. So our, uh, our reading of the uh, Scripture is actually going to start in Leviticus. I'm only going to read a few verses there. I'll be in Leviticus 15, if you want to note this, 15, uh, 25, and then I'm going to skip down to 29 or 28. So we'll start here, then we will turn to the passage in your bulletin. Leviticus 15. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. And now verse 28. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves and two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in the uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle, which is in their midst. And now we turn to Matthew chapter uh, 9. This is the text printed in their bulletin, Matthew 9, 18 to 26. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl rose. And the report of this went through all that district. This ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we pray now that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Our redeemer. You've given us this word, and it is ours, and so we, we treasure it now. Make it uh, powerful in our midst, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, we are in, uh, you are elsewhere in the scripture in your uh, pastor's series. Uh, this is where uh, I am. I'm revisiting this passage because, frankly, it was not done with me, as the pastor says. Uh, this, is, this is a passage that is still uh, has riches to unfold, uh, and we just want to revisit it. Uh, this is a, a very interesting passage, a passage with a lot uh, going uh, through, just going through it. It's uh, a very fast-moving uh, passage of Jesus' uh, work. What we are going to be looking at is the passage in Matthew, particularly in light of that Leviticus background. But it is structured in such a way that uh, also in math, in uh, Luke and Mark has this parallel and it's called a sandwich. So the bread of the sandwich is this ruler and his daughter. Um, it opens the passage and closes the passage. So the bread is uh, bounding the sandwich. And the meat is this, or tuna fish, or peanut butter. That is the uh, part in the middle about this woman with the flow of blood. So one of the reasons why we point that out and think about this is these this has been given to us by the gospel writer because these two passages interpret each other. They, they help us to see a fullness here, and they've, uh, they've kept this historical order to show us uh, what is going on here. So this is uh, a passage opening up. Of course, it's been going already in chapters 8 and 9 in a very important section. So this, uh, Matthew makes it really easy for us to understand the uh, structuring of his gospel. And one thing that you uh, probably already know, but I will mention it again, the Gospels are a story, a whole story. So when you're reading the Gospels, we tend to look at little segments, but really it is one unfolding story with a unity from the beginning to the end. It's certainly true of all the four Gospels we have. Matthew is no exception. This is one unfolding story. Uh, and Matthew helps us to track... Uh, some of the structuring of what he's doing by doing repetitions. He gives previews, and then you get repetition later. Uh, but he, uh, in our section, we're in a, uh, chapters 8 and 9, which have been basically foretold to us what we're going to be looking at in chapter 4, verse 23. So let me... Let me uh, flip to that. This is uh, Matthew 4.23 where we read, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So there are two things going on in that verse, Matthew 4.23. First of all, he is teaching on the kingdom of God. Well, that's the Sermon on the Mount, which follows immediately after that portion. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus. Matthew's providing a sample of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. If you 
want to know what he was teaching in their synagogues, you read the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. Then he says, and he was healing all their diseases and afflictions. Well, that's how, that's where we're at now in chapters 8 and 9 in particular. So he's turned his attention now to that second part of what Jesus was up to. So that's where we're at. And this episode follows uh, directly after Jesus talks about the new wine and the wineskin, the question about fasting. He's in a, um, a tax collector, Matthew's home, and he's feasting. Uh, there are sinners present. Jesus has a lot to say to people who uh, tell him what to do. Um, and here, while he's still speaking. So let's go ahead and you know, turn our attention to verse 18. It is while he is saying these things, he's still speaking. He's really not done eating, and people have interrupted him in his uh, uh, break. You need to remember, this is, this is still part of this a whole time when Jesus says, look, I don't have, you want to follow me? Well, foxes have holes to nest in, and the, the birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He, he, he didn't get any break. He's on a boat at sea, and a storm comes up. He can't even uh, get a nap on this boat with the disciples interrupting him. This is just kind of a chaotic, uh, fast-moving ministry where he really isn't getting a lot of rest. So he's finally having a feast, and he's finally uh, getting a little bit of a break when all of a sudden, while he's still explaining you know, things to the people who are questioning him. Uh, he can't even finish that. It's while he's still speaking, this man comes up, kneels before him and says, my daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Uh, now, children, what's missing? What does Jesus do here in the next verse? And what does he not do? He doesn't say... Well, do you say your prayers? Well, do you obey your parents? He has these conditions. Okay, I might help you, but first let's see if you're worthy of me helping you. It's missing, isn't it? It's gone. He doesn't do that. Look at the next verse. And Jesus arose and followed him. Look how abrupt that is. He doesn't say, have you been paying your tithes? Have you been sacrificing? How's your prayer life? You know, all these things that he could have demanded of this guy, he doesn't. This guy is desperate, and Jesus gets up and follows him. And that's the way Jesus is. You see this throughout our passage. Jesus is always dropping what he's doing to help people. He is that way still. Now, at this point, you know, it's typical of preachers to have application of a sermon at the end of the sermon. I'm going to put, I'm going to put a little one right here. You see, this is actually aimed at your pastors and your elders and your deacons. Jesus gets up in the middle of finally getting a break, and he gets up and he goes to help somebody. It's not convenient for him. He needs more rest. He needs a break, but he doesn't get it. 
because he is diligent to help people. He himself had said this. He had said in verse 13 that the Lord desires mercy rather than sacrifice. And so that's what he's doing. He's showing mercy to those in need. This is the way Jesus is, and he's a model for us who are serving him. And not only your pastors and your elders and your deacons, but me. Me too. I'm also under the authority of this word. When I, to tell you the truth, I think about this passage a lot, that particular thing. Because things are not always convenient for us, but this is what Jesus does. This is what we have to be like as well. And perhaps, brothers and sisters, all of us should be like this in helping one another. But this is particularly a model of how a servant of the Lord is not above his master. And here is our master serving his people in need. This is really a tireless example of Jesus. Well, we have now this... Jesus getting up to help this man. So let's focus on this portion of both at the beginning and the end where Jesus is helping this man with this daughter who has just died. First of all, we're told that it's a ruler. So this is verse 18. A ruler came. The thing about Matthew to keep in mind, it, because many of us know the other passages, the, the other parallels in Mark and Luke. Well, they're aimed at different audiences. Um, and Matthew is writing to an audience who knows the culture and society that Jesus is a part of right there. That's, that explains a lot about what Matthew includes and what he leaves out. He just says a ruler. In the other Gospels, we find out his name is Jairus, Jairus and he's a ruler of the synagogue. Well, Matthew takes that for granted. He, if he says a ruler and he's in Capernaum, it's a city on the northern edge of of the Sea of Galilee, um, you know, the larger town, basically. Uh, Matthew knows that if he says a ruler and he's up there, he's a ruler of the synagogue, and you know what that means. Uh, he's not a ruler down in Jerusalem associated with the kings and with the Romans. So we know that. Um, and so this is a ruler, uh, but it's quite interesting the way it says this. Uh, we actually saw this earlier in uh, verse, chapter 8, verse 19. Matthew says something that's, hard, that's not translated here that's kind of interesting. The, the way it's expressed is unusual. Uh, in Matthew 8, it says a scribe came up to him, just one. <laughs> and that's what's happened here. A ruler came up to him, just one. Uh, and you're, you're kind of taken aback saying, why did he point out just one of them? Well, brothers and sisters, you really have to go back to the beginning of Matthew. Uh, this is where the unity of this gospel comes out. You see, when the Magi come to worship, nobody from the leadership goes to worship the newborn king of Israel. No one from Israel goes. It's just these, these foreign magicians, they go. Uh, so this is, this is uh, part of what's happening here. Okay, one guy does come forward. That's what we're, we're hearing. Okay, one ruler does come forward. But notice, it's a ruler who comes forward. He didn't, he didn't come forward to approve of Jesus or say, I'm, I'm going to follow you because you're the Messiah. We've been waiting for you. 
No, he comes because his daughter has just died. And he's in desperate need. He's out of his mind. He's crazy with grief. And, and he is, he's seen what Jesus can do, interestingly. He doesn't follow him, but he, can, he sees what Jesus can do. So he has a need. He comes to Jesus, the only one who uh, can raise the dead. And how does he know this? Because Jesus has not raised the dead yet. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, we haven't seen him raise anybody from the dead. Well, virtually, he's brought them out of leprosy. He's thrown demons out of them, people who are living by tombs. So Jesus is assumed to be able to raise the dead here, which, of course, Jesus does uh, do, as we see, but also tells John the Baptist uh, in chapter 11 that you see the dead being raised. This is a, a mark of the Messiah's power. So let's go down to the end of this where Jesus has followed this man to his home. Verse 23, he's come to the ruler's house and then he sees this commotion of grieving people. Uh, and he uh, comes up and uh, he is interested in the uh, girl. The term here can be rendered damsel. Uh, and in Luke, we're told that she's 12. This is a, uh, uh, a girl who's on the verge of being old enough to be married. The average age of girls in this time was 14. Uh, anywhere from the range of 14 to 16. That's the typical age. And then they live to be around 25 to 35 on average. Uh, and I, I know of a grandmother who died at 38, leaving multiple grandchildren behind. This is just life in this world. Uh, we're going to see a little bit more of that later. So this is a girl who is roughly 12 years old. She's not married yet. Uh, and then Jesus comes up and he sees this commotion. He's in the courtyard and he hasn't seen the girl yet. He's been told that she has just died. Uh, and this commotion is the professional uh, weepers. So this was typical in those days to have, particularly women, this was their part-time job, uh, to give uh, voice to the grief of the family by the playing of the flutes, and they had a keening wail to express the uh, distress and the grief of the family to help them uh, express their grief in this terrible tragedy. And, and terrible it is. Um, but Jesus walks in and says, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Uh, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. This is a culture where there are no funeral parlors. This is a culture where 50% of the children die before the age of six. 50%, half. This, that's the average in, in the ancient world and in this area. Uh, so these people know death when they see it because they take care of their dead. They don't have, you know, funeral folk come in and help and take care of the body. They take care of the body. So they know. They've seen it. They know this girl is actually dead. And the father knows that she's dead. And Jesus says, oh, she's just sleeping. 
So naturally they laugh at him. It's kind of interesting. They just laugh at him. Uh, interesting laughing at the Savior who's been called to come and bring her from the dead. So interesting in verse 25, we read this. Uh, but when the crowd had been put outside, it's actually a polite way to say what's actually in the text, and that is, he cast the crowd out. This is the same term he is used when Jesus casts out demons. He casts them out. He, 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 he ejects them from the area. They, they have no more use here. These people are not helping, and they are not useful for what is going to take place. And frankly, you and I both know there are people in the world who, even if they were to see a miracle like this with their own eyes, would explain it away. Oh, well, it turns out she wasn't dead. She was just sleeping. And he just had a warm touch and woke her from the dead. Okay, or, or from asleep. Okay, he didn't really do anything. He has no use for that. He, he ejects him from the whole area. I don't really care what you think. He's, he, what he cares about is this family, and particularly this father who has asked him for his help. If you ask Jesus for his help, he cares. He's tireless in helping you and coming to your aid. It may, it may take him a while to get there, but he will come to your aid. That's what Jesus is showing us here. And then he knows what to do. <laughs> he knows what to do. And what he does, he takes her by the hand. The last time he took somebody by the hand was Peter's mother-in-law. She was on a bed with terrible fever. Fever can be, uh, it's a symptom, of course, but it can, uh, it can be a symptom of a deadly disease. She could die. Uh, so it's a very serious kind of fever. That, um, so he took her by the hand as well and lifted her up. He takes this girl and raises her up. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of Jesus raising the dead. He takes his people by their hand and raises them from the dead. That's what he's done for this girl. He has taken her by the hand and led her up, just like the great shepherd, like we sang in Psalm 23. This is our shepherd who leads us uh, out of the, the shadow of death. And here it is. He's showing us that. He wants us to see that in what he's doing. So he is showing um, his people what he is up to in his ministry to us. Well, now we come to the heart of our passage, the very center part with this desperate woman. So this woman has had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, we don't know how old she is. She's called a woman, which means she has uh, reached the age of marriage, at least. So for 12 years, we're told she has had this flow of blood. She could be 25, 26, 28. In other words, half of her life, roughly, has been spent with this debilitating illness with this flow which has caused very serious health issues. She probably is not going to live much longer after all of this. 
This is just the reality. You know, we're dealing at a time, if you want to see this, you can see it in the Gospels. What are they eating? Well, they eat bread, they have, they have wine, they have olive oil, and maybe a little fish, and then any vegetables that are in season, a little bit of cheese, uh, and some beans, perhaps, that have been dried, and that's their diet. That's roughly it. Think about what's missing. Okay, how about they take the oxen down to Jerusalem and they slaughter it as a sacrifice and they get some red meat. How often does that take place? Not very often. Problem with a sacrifice, you kill your oxen, it's dead. <laughs> you can't plow your field with it anymore. This is, this is, you know, eating meat is a sacrifice. It's a big deal and it's rare. And, and here's the problem with a woman like this. Anemia and all sorts of other problems that can rise up. Pneumonia can set in. She can be subject to malaria. Uh, they're, living in the, they're living by a lake. It's a freshwater lake with all sorts of swampy areas. What do you think, what do you think the mosquitoes are doing in that area? Uh, this, is, this is a, and by the way, malaria is well known to be in the Mediterranean area at that time. So this is a, this is a woman who is subject to very serious health problems. Do you, is it, uh, okay. True confession here. I'm speculating, all right? I will admit it to you. She touches the, the edge of his garment, probably the bottom edge. Where is she? Is she standing up to be able to touch the bottom of his cloak? It's like, it's like touching my pant cuff. You know, she's probably not standing. She's too weak for that. That's, you know, we're speculating here, but it's, it's interesting in this text. She touches the fringe of his cloak, which is the bottom portion of it. And then he looks around in the other Gospels and he doesn't see her because she's not standing. She's not easy to see. Brothers and sisters, this is someone who's desperate, just like that man with his daughter. She is desperate too. And what's interesting about this is she doesn't ask Jesus, do you mind if I touch your cloak? <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't ask. She takes it. She takes healing from Jesus. She comes up to him and she demands it, as it were, out of her desperation. And it's provided for her. Her God looks upon her and he heals her. No one else has healed her for 12 years and he heals her. This is the way God is. If you're desperate, you sometimes do these things, to your, but you look to your God and he hears you. This is what you remember in those desperate times. You remember this and people like this. And how God has handled them with mercy and compassion and kindness and understanding and a readiness to help. This is the way our God and our Savior are. Our one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and our incarnate Savior. And then notice what he says to her. 
He doesn't say a lot of things to her in, in our episode. He turns and says, take heart, daughter. Take heart, daughter. You know, he has just included her in his family. You're, you're my daughter, and I'm your father. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has saved you. And this, this again, it's the faith. She, she demanded of Jesus healing in faith. I know she didn't ask for it, but she took it from him in faith. And he said, your faith is, has raised you. Brothers and sisters, this is the nature of our God. This is our Savior on earth showing us the way he's going to consistently through all eternity relate to us as someone who's tireless, willing to help his people in need. If, if, if someone comes up to him like this woman who's unclean, we read in Leviticus, and everything that touches her makes the person unclean. She touches his garment. He's now unclean. He doesn't care. He cleanses it all. He's the one who purifies people, and he does not become unclean. This is, this is what our Savior is like. He came to seek and save the lost, and the power of his kingdom knows no bounds. Even these people who touch him and are healed, it's because he's the great king filled with the power of God for, to bless his people. If you want to see Jesus talking about such people, you go to the Beatitudes. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. <coughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you think this woman is poor in spirit? Do you think that ruler had been broken to where he was now poor in spirit, in desperate need? This is what they have to offer the Savior. Poverty, emptiness, hopelessness in themselves. That's what being poor in spirit means. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That father, blessed when he puts his trust in the Lord. Our Savior has just had this written for us so that we would see how he relates to us today, brothers and sisters. You know that this is the way he still is, because Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this is how he treats us as well. When you come with a need to your Savior, you come with these people in mind. These are real people like you, with real needs and real sorrows, real desperation, and he will listen to you and answer you in the time of your need. Praise the Lord, for he is good, and his compassion fails not. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our great God, we thank you for our Savior who is so powerful to save, so remarkable, so sovereign, and so compassionate, lowly of heart, willing to listen to us. We, O oh Lord, also are daughters and sons by your good grace. 
I, I pray, O oh Lord, for our congregation here. We will never know a day of doubt in our Savior. May grow strong in our most holy faith and see you working in our midst in our time of need. Bless us, O oh Lord, be with us, strengthen us, and grant that we on that last day might rise up, being raised from the dead, to give you glory and look to all the good things you've done for us and sing your praise forever to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.